Rangani. Hello, everyone. We are back. It's Barb and Rangane. Say hi, Barb. Oh, I love saying hi to you, Rangane. <laughs> I've locked the Zoom room. No one else can come in. We are safely and securely in our Zoom room. Uh, we are excited to be back for a season two. Um, we appreciate everyone's uh, love and patience as we sort of stepped away to do some of our own reflecting in between season one and now. And we are back. We don't have a title for season two yet, but we decided to just start anyways. And what we are imagining and anticipating coming into this new season is that we will be leaning into some really great conversations and centering conversations around race and the greater implications for our society and where we are in this moment and this incredible movement that we are seeing unfold across the country and across the world as it relates to uh, race and racism. So. Uh, we will, we will be leaning in as much as we can be. And uh, any thoughts on that, Barb? <laughs> well, oh, I, I will admit to you that we actually did, <clears throat> we did record a, an earlier podcast and decided that we weren't quite ready to tackle race. And uh, certainly, as a white person, I know that it's quite intimidating um, for me to even have this conversation with some of our listeners, who are obviously in the. Um, black, Indigenous, and people of color um, constituency groups. And I'm, I'm honored to do it with you, Rangane, as, as a person of color and as someone who's born in the U.S. or not born in the U.S., but, um, but you know, having lived a lot of your life in the U.S. And so you have a, an, an experience of being with Black history that I don't have as much as, but it's something that I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. And um, really, I'm going to learn as we podcast together. Beautiful. And I'll, and I'll just know, actually, I was, I was actually born in Portland. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, always have this, I know you spent some time in Iran as a young person. It's always, a little confusing for folks. Yeah. Cause yeah. I actually was born in Portland, but I'm, I moved to Iran at, when I was three months old and um, oh, we'll share more. Yeah, We're going to share a little bit about our <laughs> life stories and future episodes to, to give some greater context to, to who we are and how we see sort of the world that we are living in right now. And I think that Hopefully that will be helpful for folks to hear because we have very different perspectives that we've, we've been learning from and with each other for several years now. That's right. And, and Rangana has been teaching a lot lately and I, I haven't been. And so I was joking with her that she's coming in as kind of this sort of academic voice. And <laughs> I'm just going to throw in a few odd bod stories <laughs> and practical wisdom. And so it's kind of nice generational as well that we we come at this from very different perspectives and I'm I'm very much a doer um I, I spend less time <laughs> frankly I've spent more time reading in the last few months than I have in my entire life but I, I sort of just jump in and do action and Rankin it kind of brings us back to this beautiful over uh, I think you're a very good big picture thinker and you brought this topic that we're gonna we want to start the podcast with a uh, season two about radical humility and I had to ask you, what the heck is radical humility? Where did it come from? <laughs> How did you get started on this topic? So I'm going to throw that question to you. Thanks. So I wish I had a, a more succinct answer, but uh, I'll I'm going to explain. When Barb asked me that, I, I, I'm like, I don't know. It actually came to me in the middle of the night. I woke up and I was thinking about everything that's happening across the country, across the world. And the next morning, the two words, radical humility came to mind. And I just felt like 
I needed to talk to somebody about it and where could, where could we, where could this conversation be aired? And this podcast felt like a really good space. So radical humility came to my mind. And I would say that there are two specific places where I, I sense it sort of sprang up from. And one is from Dr. Jan Marie Garcia's work around cultural humility. She's at the UC Davis health center in Sacramento, California. And she talks about cultural humility as sort of the evolution of cultural competence, right? Cultural competence sort of has this, this idea that you kind of stop at some point, you are competent, therefore, you know, and humility really takes us to a place of ongoing learning that we can never really know everything there is to know about culture, um, our own or others, right? That it's always that there is an ongoing learning journey there. And the other place is um, from Dr. Sayantani Dasgupta out of Columbia University, uh, their school of narrative medicine that she's helped establish. And she talks a lot about narrative humility and the power of including and engaging story in the practice of medicine and the way that that really helps doctors and providers to be better at what they do, because there is a way that they're able to see their patient in a more holistic way. And so these two different concepts of humility have been sitting in my mind. I talked about it with our with students. And so radical, radical humility uh, came to mind as sort of this, this piece of, you know, we've had so many people coming to the table asking, what can we do? What can we do? And uh, in light of this sort of radical racial awakening, if you will, across the country, I think there's a lot of people who have been who have been tuned into what's been happening for since the foundation of this country, since the start of this country was, you know, well, the, the very violent <laughs> history of this country. And, and then there's a lot of other people who, who maybe haven't been as tuned in. And so are, are kind of coming to the table for the, for the first time in many cases and asking like, what can we do? And so I think it's, yes, what can you do? And also how can you be? That was one of the things that we talked about in our first season was not just about doing, but also about being. And hmm. radical humility, in my mind, is is not just a way of being. It's an ongoing practice of engaging in what you don't know, replacing judgment with curiosity, and leaning in. This is like one of the most imp- hmm. important pieces, right? Leaning in when it's hard or challenging to your own worldview. And that latter part is kind of what makes it radical. It's not just about, I don't know, and I'm here to learn. It's like, I don't know, I'm here to learn, and I'm going to do my own work as a result of what I learn. And that is through that deep inter introspective, your sort of own reflection on what you're learning and understanding how that informs how you go forward and how you show up perhaps very differently next time. Mm. Angela talks about, you know, when we know better, we do better. And then we can act from a place of being better informed. We can have greater consciousness of ourself. And as a result of that, the collective benefits, right? When our own growth and our own commitment to our, our own growth is present, the collective can actually start to make movement. So I'm going to pause. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I love it. And um, we will... We will point you to two YouTube videos by Dr. Jan Marie Garcia and Dr. Sayantani Dasgupta. Um, beautiful short ones, a TED Talk, and maybe they're both TED Talks. Um, but it really struck me, several things are popping up for me. And I'm thinking about the, you know, the, the focus conversation method and the O-level words that are, you know, the objective level words that are popping up. And one is, yes, this 
in the last couple of decades, the phrase cultural competency has been used a lot. And it's so obvious where that's wrong now that we never achieved that competency around culture. We're, we have such deep lenses. We have such deep trauma by virtue of the race we were born into. And we can, have, we can never be competent, I'm afraid. <laughs> so we have to be humble. Mm. And what does that mean for us as facilitators if we can walk into a room with, as you say, not only humility, but radical humility. So I, I love that. And, and yes, there's been a real tendency to, to really try and act. There's a, there's a word that you, you talked about too, the, the acting. But when we act from our own lens, if I as a white person act from, well, you know, I've seen this work in my organization and therefore it's got to be right. Or, you know, this law was passed three decades ago and we need to change that law or uh, we need to get this person out of office or we need to um, put, you know, take down these statues. For example, in the U.S., a lot of Confederate statues are being taken down. Um, and that's symbolic and it's, and it's, and it's very big. And we, we've been ignoring, you know, this, this blatant, you know, flaunting of, white supremacy through the use of the statues um, without even really knowing it, at least as a white person and as an, especially as an immigrant to this country, I haven't known it. But I think the, as you say, Rangane, that, that we cannot take action unless we use our facilitator skills and gather enough data and do the reflection that we need and then come at the situation with extreme intentional radical humility I don't actually know what's going to work here. We have never had a country or a world that is not racist mm. and not classist and not mm. sexist and not able, ableist and not, you know, hetero, heterosexist. And so it goes on and on and on. So we, we have no model to follow and we have to be radically humble, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> It's about leaning in and discovering together for sure. So one of the things that we wanted to continue to bring into episode, uh, I'm sorry, into season two is um, both the deep conversations. And as I said, you know, we're, we are going to be leaning in this, this season even more so, but we also wanted to continue to kind of talk about some of the facilitator um, angles that that are relevant and how we relate the topics that we're talking about in those through that lens. And hopefully um, that even if you don't identify as a facilitator or you have facilitator esque uh, elements to your work um, that, that it would still be relevant to you, that, that it will still be beneficial to you. And also I think the other thing I was sharing with Barb is that one thing I really appreciate about facilitation tools is that they are by and large, whether adapted or fully in their essence, um, very applicable, even in our personal lives, like even being able to take some of, you know, taking the focus conversation and, and running that as my own way of doing my reflection work, right? Because sometimes people ask, well, how do you, how do you do your own internal reflection work? And that's a tool that you can actually take and, and use for yourself. But that said, uh, I think the question that we were arriving at today was, you know, how do we, how do we embody radical humility as facilitators? How do we how do we ensure that that's brought to the groups that we are working with? And um, I'm going to toss that question to Barb to see her her <laughs> initial thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, 
I'm looking through our little script, <laughs> which Rangana and I usually have, you know, an hour or so or less, you know, talking about things and then trying to order it. Like, what, when are we going to say next? And I realized that I um, want to say something that Rangana said earlier is that um, many of us uh, white people do not have a, the daily experience of being racial, um, racially targeted because we live uh, in this kind of invisible um, notion that somehow everybody has the same life and experiences us and therefore I can go out and um, I'm not going to walk out of my door thinking, um, am I wearing clothes that won't have a police officer stop me? Am I driving in a way that is going to affect, you know, someone stopping me, um, a military authority? And uh, those are just two small examples that are prime in my mind because of the the police emphasis on police brutality and police injustices. And I'm not blaming police because we, you know, we need... We need, there's many reasons for having law and order and, and control and, and um, preventing um, acts of violence um, through policing. But what's been happening is that we've had racial targeting. And so I, I just want to bear in mind that when you enter the room as a facilitator, particularly if you are not black, indigenous, or uh, otherwise identified as a person of color, you, do, you will never have the same daily experiences as these constituency groups. And so that's where my humility as a white person has to come in. I cannot possibly know what it feels like to be constantly under the stress of wondering whether I'm going to live today, whether I'm going to be assaulted or harassed or victimized or targeted in some, some lesser way or some major way. You know, I, every day I go out, I don't know whether I'm going to live today. Okay, great. You know, I, I think it must cultivate something in you as a person of color that um, that that really deeply humbles me, mm. and that makes me so sad. Mm. I don't want this to. I've said in other podcasts, I don't want this to continue, and I don't know what mm. to do about it. Um, but coming back to facilitator, um, facilitator things, um, I, um, I, I think when we set the room up. And the way we invite, at the very first thing, just the way we invite people to the room in the pre-communication, whether it's a virtual room or an in-person room, the way we, the language we use, do we look it over and think, what would this sound like to a person who has traditionally not been visible or acknowledged or targeted every single day of their lives? Mm-hmm. To think that the language we use in inviting people to the space and and finding a way to make it safe for them even to show up. So that's the first thing I do. You, Yeah. And I, I think the piece that I'm sitting with that you just said was, you know, I don't, I don't want this. I don't, you know, we, we don't want to be living in a racist society and what do we do? Like, where do we even start? And this thought that keeps coming to mind is, you know, I think many of us know that racism lives literally in every nook and cranny in this, in this society, because it's what this country was built on. Um, so how do we think about that in every nook and cranny of what we do? And even in the most nuanced ways of, of extending invitations to facilitated sessions, like you just said, right? Like how do we get down to that level of consciousness in what we're doing and how we're doing it? And why we're doing it that way, right? Not because it's what we should do, but it's because it's what we need to do. Mm. 
Yes. It's, it's what needs to happen. It's what's needed to happen for so long. Um, and if, you know, now is the moment where there is a greater collective consciousness about it, then let's leverage the hell out of that moment. Right. Because we need, we need, that's my first swear word on the podcast. Hopefully it will be my last. <laughs> Sorry, we'll but. have to delete that. Right. <laughs> this is still rogue, pod, rogue, rogue podcasting. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I was sharing with Barb in the nuances of our guidelines, right? One of the ones we often use is that this will be a space where everyone can hear and be heard and, and that we, we push the participants to think about that on a more, on a more meaningful level, that this isn't just about ensuring that everyone, you know, gets to say something, but that people are really leaning in, in meaningful ways to what the other person is sharing and that there is a suspension of judgment that we are really asking people to think with open hearts and open minds. Um, and in the same vein that we are also not, that we're also checking our expectations around what we will be taught by certain people by virtue of their identity in certain spaces or by, by virtue of their identity with certain groups, that listening is an offering of story from someone else, that it should never be an expectation of what you think you need to be learning from them. So mm-hmm. that's something that, um, I want to just lift up here because I think there has been this, um, a lot of folks who have said, you know, I need to learn and therefore I need to listen to other people's stories. And there is, there is a yes. And, Mm -hmm. um, there is a yes. And understand that when someone's sharing that story, that's really, that's really an offering from them and that, that it's not okay to make that into an expectation. Um, so And then I guess, you know, on that same note for us as facilitators to emphasize that too, you know, as we're setting up our group guidelines that we're we're really thinking about that. How do we really create not just safe spaces, but brave spaces? Because when we... Sorry, say that safe, but brave? Not just safe, but brave spaces, spaces. right? Because Mm -hmm. for us to engage in really really, uh, difficult conversations around race it's going to require that we go out of our comfort zone, right? And that might not feel safe all the time for everyone, but that some of those conversations need to, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking specifically to our white allies here, that there is a difference between being safe and being uncomfortable. And that's something that I try to lift up in the, in the work that I do is that we don't want people to literally feel unsafe, but we also know that in order to learn, in order to push ourselves, sometimes it's going to take, and oftentimes it's going to take being uncomfortable. And that means something really different for Black, Indigenous, and peoples of color than it does for our white allies, and to just have some awareness about that as well. Yeah, well... I'm just thinking of all the instances where either I've co-facilitated with you or others, and even when I'm co-designing with other facilitators that are not white. Um, and, you know, it, it's um, it's almost paralyzing me. <laughs> like, I'm never going to go out and design anything again or facilitate anything again. I'll, I'll make a mistake. And that's something that often, often happens to white people. So we don't want to be seen, you know, as making mistakes and, we're, we're, you know, as... Um, the um, Robin D'Angelo said, you know, we're so fragile, you know, mm. we're so fragile as white people. We just never want to be seen as racist or, um, but by, by God, we are by virtue mm. of the fact that we were born in a culture that somehow managed to make itself very dominant and very so-called preferable in the world. Um, 
thus the, the, the term white supremacy is taking on a whole new meaning. And I know white people have really hated that term for a long time because it's invoked all kinds of images around Ku Klux Klan. And, um, but essentially, yes, supremacy is that there is this notion that whites have somehow figured things out better than other people. And therefore we should follow, we should follow our system and we should bow down to being lighter skinned and, and, and so I think there's just so much humility that I am um, finding uh, renewed renewal in my humility. Mm. Um, and I, I'm thinking about when you and I were facilitating a, a health organization and we were actually talking about a strategy, a strategic planning session, dismantling white racism <laughs> mm. in the healthcare system. And everybody was like having, you know, fairly deep conversations around, can we actually say that as a public strategy? Um, and we we often asked um, we we created this thing called speaking order, and we asked the people of color, the black, and, and the new term in the U.S. is black, indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC, because um, we do want to acknowledge our indigenous um, constituency group as one of the original peoples that have been oppressed for millennia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But speaking order is when you allow people of color to go first if they wish and um, to speak first and because they're often the last voice to be heard or not never heard at all. And I, I, I'd like to ask you, Rangane, does that in this new way of the way we're thinking about it in even just in the last month or two as awareness has gone up, is that, how would you change that? Even that notion that we were practicing a couple of years ago mm-hmm. of speaking order, how would you say it differently as a facilitator now, if any? Mm-hmm. I think that a it's it's kind of just raising some awareness about the power dynamics that come come into the room when you are facilitating a room or when you're working with a group, and I think the key is also understanding hopefully enough about your group that you know how to sort of have that conversation with them and set mm-hmm. it up in a way that feels first and foremost safe for the folks of color who are in the space because as you said sometimes going first doesn't feel safe for many 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 reasons and. Um, and so I think kind of going back to what I was sharing about the group guidelines, it's like uh, I, um, when I was talking about, you know, leaning into discomfort, I want to be really clear that I'm, I'm very specifically speaking to our white allies here because people of color having conversation, they, they, people are living in discomfort. People are living in pain every single mm-hmm. day. And so we don't want to replicate that in our spaces where we're facilitating. And so being very cognizant of who's in the room, how are folks coming into room, um, I think is, is more, it's just, I think a deeper awareness than I would say necessarily a shift in what, what, what we're doing, but how we're doing it and why we're doing it and the way that we're engaging the group with it. Mm. So once again, we're going to say context is everything. Right? Context is everything. <laughs> context, context is, is everything. everything. Um, and that, that also is really important. Um, I'm just looking at our, our list of things and uh, wondering what else you might like to just add as we wrap this up. And there's so much to say, and we will carry on um, bit by bit, trying to figure this out uh, aloud, out loud, musing out loud with you. Continue to muse out loud. I think that this is actually a great place for us to pause for this episode. And I know that there is a, a quote that you, that you wanted to share, Barb. So I think I'll, I'll pass it to you to, to share the quote and, um, and just say that, you know, I'm really looking forward to leaning in in this in this season and um, to having some some really important conversations that we hope 
you all who are listening will also be having with your communities and with your families and in the workspaces where you can, where it makes sense to. Yeah, and thank you for that. Before I say the quote, having for, for white people to have these conversations about race with your white friends and family is really important. I've been doing that lately. I've been learning a lot about frames of mind, experiences, life experiences that will totally change, you know, where a person is coming from. And it's been surprising and humbling. And so I would really recommend that you have the courage to have these conversations that you've never had before. Um, Sayan Tani, um, the video person that we were speaking about earlier, um, quoted Bell Hook and she said about education. And she said, education can be a practice of freedom. And so we are educating ourselves as facilitators here. Education connects the will to know with the will to become. And learning is a place where paradise is created. And paradise maybe is where we have no racism anymore. And she adds herself, Sayantani, um, because she, her video, her TED Talk is about listening and radical listening and deep listening. Um, she says, and listening also is a place where paradise is created. Mm. So um, listen well, listen to yourselves, listen to each other. Mm. And I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you for the next episode. Thanks, Barb. Thanks all. Thanks, Rangani.